0: the Trauma Healing Learnings, based on one mom's journal entries, recorded in real time from a catastrophic event with her son that you've been listening to in the Blink of an Eye story.
1: Life can change in the blink of an eye. Hello, dear ones. Welcome to Trauma Healing Learning 6. Healing Trauma Through Somatic Touch with Dr. Janice Campbell. Today's episode is a special one as Dr. Campbell is a member of my own care team and someone who has integrated her understanding of meridians of the body as an acupuncturist with the power of intentional touch on the central nervous system for trauma healing. Dr. Janice Campbell is a licensed acupuncturist and doctor of oriental medicine and somatic touch, based in Maryland. She was also the clinical director of the Maryland University of Integrative Health for two decades. At this point in the blink of an eye story, Archer's medical team and I were exploring other modalities to treat Archer's unrelenting pain and I wondered if Archer might benefit from acupressure for his pain I had asked about acupressure in the first intensive care hospital but they were not familiar with the technique when I inquired at Shepherd Center I was happy to find a physical therapist who had some knowledge and was willing to experiment. We saw that acupressure relieved Archer's pain, but it was only for short periods of time. I thought you might be interested in understanding more about the power of somatic touch as a method to relieve any pain or ailments you or someone you love might be experiencing. In this interview, you'll hear about that and some surprising revelations about the interaction and chemistry between the patient and healer. We also learn about the body's automatic impulse to protect us from trauma, such as when we want to flee or push away or draw our arms up, and when this attempt at protection is thwarted. The body's inability to complete the action is often at the root of many post traumatic disorders, sometimes for years. Listen in to hear more about our body's wondrous ways of defending us, as well as how somatic touch can help our bodies complete what has been stuck and causing us to suffer. I wanna welcome you today so we can talk about your practice in somatic touch. Thank you. Yeah, it's nice to be here. Great to see you. I'm wondering if you could begin by telling us about your practice in somatic touch.
2: Pre COVID, I sort of lost track of actual dates of when I actually became certified, but I know I spent, I believe it was probably around, I want to say 2015 or so, I had the opportunity to take a somatic touch uh, training. I had Uh, One of my mentors, Elaine Duncan, who has done a lot of work with the military and a lot of research with them in regards to acupuncture and things like that, had gotten hooked into the somatic experiencing uh, community, which is a form of, well at the time it was a form of therapy that could, that uh, was being practiced mostly in the psychological wing of of medicine, and they had just begun doing this thing called somatic touch, which was being taught by, it was sort of codified by a woman by the name of Kathy Kane that was a body worker out in the Pacific Northwest, and Stephen Terrell, who is an attachment specialist in Austin, Texas, his is called Austin Attachment. Stephen was coming to teach at Crossings down okay, Silver Spring near Washington, D.C. And Elaine said, You would love this. You need to take this. Wow. I said, I know, but I haven't had, I haven't done the somatic experiencing training, and you have to have it. But it says on the website, you have to have that to be able to do the touch training. And she said, well, Let me talk to Stephen. And so I ended up in a converse, an email conversation with both Kathy Kane and Stephen Terrell. And they said, oh, no, no, Uh, with your work as an acupuncturist and particularly as a five element acupuncturist, you're good to go to take this course. Well, then my car broke down and was and had ceased to I was all signed up to go to the thing and we had to suddenly buy a new car. And so I sent an email and say, I'm so sorry. I can't do this after all this work we've done to get me in. I can't do it. I have to take that money and buy a car right now. Let me know the next time you're going to do this. And Kathy Kane wrote back and said. You obviously need to be here, so I'm going to send you a DVD of, of, somatic, of my first training, the first training of somatic touch, because it was a year-long process with multiple training. And she said, I want you to watch it, and then go to the second one, and we'll figure out a payment plan. And so I said, okay, I'll do it. So she sent me the, the DVDs. Now this is an experiential, hands-on workshop, so I'm I have very low expectation of, about what I'm going to get out of the DVD training because it's it's a hands-on thing. Yeah. Not only are you experiencing <laughs> it on the table, acting as a patient for someone, but then you're also laying your hands on somebody else. Mm-hmm. And I was going to be watching a I was going to be watching a computer screen, and I thought this is not going <laughs> to this is not going to go well. But okay, sure, I'll try this. And so. I was sitting through the course and I was getting lots of good information and I was kind of feeling into what was happening in in the classroom online. And I thought, gosh, I wish I was there. And what really sort of hooked me was she did a short session on scars and, and on helping resolve scar tissue. And I, of course, while we were doing all these other exercises, I, I think my son was like in elementary school at that point. And we had a dog and my husband an elderly cat. And so I was trying to grab one of them, to try things on them during, during the demo things. And they're like, what are you doing? I don't want to be part of this. And <laughs> so the scar thing came up and I was, I'd given up on the, on all of them as my guinea pigs. And so I had a scar on my index finger that in my previous life as a stage manager, I had been working in a commercial scene shop for a little bit and I had actually ended up with four stitches I was sanding steel and I ripped the a, ripped a huge slice of my finger and so I had this little raised scar on my finger that I would occasionally play with there was a little edge to it you know with my thumbnail you know like you do when things are on your fingers and so I was like ah I have a scar I I can
1: use this scar and so I followed her. Coaching. Animals and pets are not cooperative, but I could have a scar on my hand as my guinea right. pig. Right. Exactly. So like, I'll, I'll be my own patient. And so I. Well, you know, they say heal or heal
2: thyself. Yeah, absolutely. And so, so I put, so I used my finger as my patient, followed the whole process as she talked everybody through it and, and whatnot, and embodied the whole thing. And then I went on to, you know, Take more notes and do whatever else, and then I'm listening to her talk, and I go to run my thumbnail over the edge of that scar, and it's gone.
1: No way. That's what I said. And
2: so I was like,
1: "That's that's pretty
2: cool." And so then I thought maybe I made this up. And mm-hmm. So then I'm going to my mm-hmm. husband. Don't you remember I had that little scar that He's like, "Yeah." He said, "What happened to it?" And so I had I had backup that it had actually existed and it had actually
1: disappeared, and. Right, right. The husband as witness.
2: <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> and so then, so then I went on to do the trainings in person with Steve Carell um, down in Columbia, or not Columbia in Silver Spring, and it was it, it it just made sense to me, and it filled in a piece in my practice that uh, it was just a very nice adjunct to to or or pairing with acupuncture and and herbs and some of the energetic verbal work that I do. It's very it's very simple in in the way of, that I explain it. Well, it, hold hold on. It.
1: Before actually yeah. we get to your describing it, which was what we were going to initially start but, with, this story is just a little too juicy. And I know you might explain how it was that that happened to you, but mm-hmm. if you could share contextually, You'd been an acupuncturist for quite some time up to this point. Mm -hmm. Right. And had been studying energy, Mm -hmm. knew the meridians of the body. Yep. And so you're having this experience that you didn't expect to have. Particularly on DVD. Yes. Particularly on DVD. What was running through your mind?
2: Well, I mean, there is a saying in Chinese medicine that Qi follows the mind. I mean, it's still, it's still surprise. Whenever anything happens immediately in any kind of treatment, it's always like, "Wow, this really works," you know. <laughs> yeah. And and that, and that I still every once in a while have that kind of sudden shift with the patient that it's like, "This stuff is really cool." It
1: yeah, it's very you know? sort of childlike and fresh and you yeah. know new. Yeah,
2: because lots of times it's a building process with some people. And so, in that regard, it was you know surprising and not surprising. And I also already knew and already practiced and already had in my tool bag, the strength of uh, the practitioner's intention and the strength of, as I was saying before, the chi follows the mind.
1: And so that, that's right. Yeah. Mind, to, yeah.
2: Energy follows yeah, attention. Putting that kind of specific intention on that particular piece of scar tissue was going to change it regardless. Now the fact that it changed it so completely was kind of, you know, pretty cool. It was again, just one of those, those sudden flip moments. It was not, it wasn't like completely out of left field for me because I had seen similar things happen with acupuncture and even with some of the the verbal energetic work that I do, I've I've seen shifts happen really quickly.
1: So it was kind of this combination of something was familiar because it was how you place your attention i'd love to open that up for a moment but also you were getting it from a dvd you know this this notion might be familiar to some listeners and very unfamiliar to others about the placement of attention with intention and that sounds like and i'm learning a new piece for you as my practitioner Mm-hmm. that that is an important component of acupuncture. Uh, I've been yep. familiar with it in other modalities, but um, I hadn't realized that coupling with acupuncture, the intention of the practitioner. Oh, it's completely part of the medicine. Each point
2: has multiple things that it can do. it Depending on what the practitioner's intention is for the point what points they combine it with, and the needling technique that you use, you, you end up with a very different effect. And so it can be as simple as doing something that's building with the point or doing something that's moving with the point. It could be doing something that's clearing with the point. It could be speaking to the body level, the mental level, the physical level. It could be speaking to all three or some combination thereof. It could be, I mean, there's, and it's all in one spot. And, and so the difference, though, is unlike things like Reiki or Qigong, hands-on Qigong healing, both of which I do, or I'm trained in. It's all kind of mushed together in my head at this point, but for my body. That with somatic touch, the only intention involved is to pay attention.
0: Mm.
2: Mm-hmm. And then the body does what it's going to do.
1: Mm. Oh, my gosh. Say more about that because you have... You have taught me that. Can you explain how that works?
2: One of the mainstays of somatic touch is what's called the kidney hold. And by placing my hand under somebody's back, well, the way the whole process goes, is the person's laying on the table, they're fully clothed. I settle into a, on a stool or a chair next to the table. And actually, prior to that even, I will ask them which side they, which side their body says they want me to start on not, you know, it's okay. You're already over here, but, but it's not, it's not random. It's intentional. Just drop drop down and just kind of say, does it feel right for me to be on this side on this side or that side? And I'll go stand on the other side and they can decide and they'll tell me. And then I will settle into a chair or stool next to them. And then the first thing I do is I ground in my own body and I become aware of being fully in my body being a person who has kidneys being a person who has adrenal glands being a person you know just kind of touching into my own energetic in that way and physicality and then i'll say i'm gonna slide my hand under your back and and you don't need to help because a lot of people's intent it, first response is to arch their back to help me out and i'm like nope just stay there i can get there on my own and then i'll I'll sl- and I'll slide my hand under their back and I'll ask them to tell me what it feels like. It- much like choosing left or right to start, I'll say, "Tell me which. Tell me the right when it feels like it's in the right spot." And don't worry about trying to anatomically find your kidneys. And so then once we found the right spot that feels snugly like it's the right place, then we pay attention. And I pay attention through my hand, and they pay attention through their body. And they can tell me things, and I may occasionally ask something like, "Did you feel that?" Or did you? Know? they? And I have I have one patient that talks to me in colors. He'll say, "It's very, it's like really heavy gray," and it turn you know, the bill's like, "But it's this whole yellow thing blew up into my chest," and now I've got blue running down my legs, or you know, whatever he does. I you know, and I have other people that talk to me about temperature or about uh, some people will talk to me about emotions about what they, what comes up with just paying attention to that part of their body. And that's often, that's often a big piece, whether people are conscious of it or not. And, and I'm feeling in my hand, movement, temperature changes, shifting. I I tend to be very musical in general. So when I listen to pulses or when I, when I do any kind of touch work, I'm listening musically to
1: what's happening. You mean in the sense of like, a beat a rhythm or a sound in the same way that frequency is you know like a better way
2: of describing it is notes move in space on a on a staff i'll i'll feel spatial relationships to sensations in my in my hand or, or when i'm listening to pulses and so i listen and they listen and then eventually the body what will happen is that that if you watch a animal or a baby right before they fall asleep they go and then they drop and eventually the person will either have a big sigh like that or their stomach will gurgle or something, but there'll be, at some point there will be a sigh. And then I'll feel, I'll actually feel their, their body drop into my hand more. And then I stay there because there's still some movement in my hand usually, and they're still aware of some stuff. And then before I leave, I will say, you know, once it gets completely quiet and it's been completely quiet in my hand for A nice little space of time. It's sort of like popping popcorn. Like you're waiting for those last few pops to pop. Right. I'm listening to. I'm listening to see if any more noise comes into my hand about from that part of the body. And they're listening. And then once it's been quiet for a few minutes, or not even minutes, but whatever that kind of. Okay, I think we're done. Then I'll say I'm gonna. I'm gonna move my hand unless you want me to stay. Because sometimes they're still feeling something that I'm not picking up on. And so once it's, once we both agree that it's okay for me to leave, the first thing I do before I move my hand is I look away and I completely disengage from them. I completely disengage from being there. I start thinking
1: about a grocery list or I think about. And why is that? Why is that? Because I'm
2: cutting the, I'm cutting the, I'm leaving them with the, with them and not, and not being, not, not needing me to be there.
1: So it's sort sort of like like cutting the, Cutting that, putting a barrier to enmeshment almost, or yeah. being totally yeah. merged. Right. And so I, and so I, so
2: I'm, I, I, you know, look around, notice the doorknob, think about, oh, I need to restock that, <laughs> do something, you know, to let myself completely disengage. And then I move my hand and then I go around and I do the other side. And the other side generally happens really quickly after we've gotten the first one. There's tons of other somatic touch that happens. There's three diaphragms there's a diaphragm that's in there's a diaphragm that's in your uh you, you hold the the jaw line and you deal with the diaphragm that runs here across your cheeks and the top of your head
1: is that um, all part of like
2: the vagal nerve no, and in fact it, this all this all affects, affects the vagal nerve the the this connection and and support there are also other ways of there are, i can i'll may do stuff if they've got a lot of intestinal stuff going on or a lot of tightness in the belly i I'll, I'll it's a similar process of putting my hand on their on their abdomen. I've done it for releasing tension in the side the side of somebody's leg that responded okay to acupuncture, but it kept coming back, and so I just needed a little bit more of letting it know it could do it itself because a lot of what somatic touch is about and even somatic experiencing is about is reminding the body that it can complete the response to whatever it was needed to complete the response to.
1: Mm, certainly, yeah, let's explain that. There's a, yeah, let, there's a very famous, there's a, a,
2: a, a very well-known video of Peter Levine, who created somatic experiencing. There's a video of him working with a, a veteran who just come back from Afghanistan, who had been blown up twice. There's a video of him working with and this goes a little bit more into the somatic experiencing piece, although there's some touch stuff available with it, um, of working with this man who at one point is experiencing a great deal of rage at the fact that the one he's alive to, his buddies are dead, and he had to watch it and the whole thing. He traces it to feeling it in his arms and in his hands. And so...
1: Peter has two people come up and hold the guy's arms. And is he, does he have feeling or is he paralyzed? He does have, feel, he does have feeling, mm-hmm. but, but he feels the, but he feels the
2: rage in his arms.
1: Okay. Mm-hmm.
2: And he comes up and has two guys hold his arms because when we, when we want to, when we want to punch something, but we want to but we, but we know we don't want to hurt ourselves or somebody else. There's this fight that goes on in our bodies between the swing. That's not happening and the control to stop the swing. And so he had two guys hold his arms and sort of basically provide that holding for safety's sake and then had him punch this pillow. And so he could complete the punch of wanting to release that aggression in a safe space while being in contact with somebody else. When it comes to, there are also things of people's, when people develop tics and things after traumatic events, Lots of times there are signs of the body
1: attempting to respond to the event and being thwarted by it. Yes. I think that I would like to have our listeners understand that uh, somatically, you know, how the mm-hmm. body responds to trauma, oftentimes right. being thwarted in what could have been a natural, full, completed, right. energetic bodily experience, but it gets cut off somehow for one reason or another you want to explain a little bit more about that
2: well it can get cut off for a variety of reasons it can be uh, i can't deal with that right now yeah mental i've got to go i've got to go to this other thing Mm -hmm. you know it could be i I need to put all my energy into staying alive yeah any number of things
1: be the the brain acting very smart to sort of uh, ward it off and put it in a compartment and in the deep freeze for a while
2: well and all symptoms to some degree are signs of that in that they usually are pointing towards getting you to do something, getting you to stop doing something or to protect you somehow. And then it gets lodged in different places in our version. It, it, any, any kind of involuntary movements that may happen, maybe the beginning of a response that never got to complete.
1: Like a, so some type of a twitch, a tick. Uh-huh. What about right. restless, what about restless legs?
2: They they can be involved in that. It can be a sign of needing to run from something or needing to to mobilize away from something. But it can also be a circulatory issue, and also your potassium, calcium, and magnesium balance in your diet can can affect how how your muscles fire. And the further away they are from your torso, if, like if your body has to it has only so much resources, it will put it into your torso before it puts it into, into your appendages. Because that, if you have your torso, you can still function, but your appendages are, you know, they're the first things to go. If they need, if you need to jettison something, like lynching away or starting to speak, you know, sometimes Tourette's can be viewed almost Almost, almost a
1: stutter kind of thing, a stop, right? stop, start. Yeah.
2: Or or like people bouncing, like people's legs bouncing, mm-hmm. it, you know, when they're, when they're, they're sitting talking to you and they can't sit still that often is a, is a need to move. I mean, a need to, and sometimes it's just comes from our culture of sitting in front of computers all the time, but it also is about, it could also mean that there is a, a a flight response that got sorted, that needs to be, that needs to be completed, which is often, and in any, and in either case, getting people when they feel that agitation, in their legs, getting them to move, will help them begin to complete that response. When it comes to somatic touch with that, sometimes, like this woman I was talking about that had the tension along the side of her leg that she couldn't let go of, sometimes it'll get to the point where somatic touch is important in that it will help the body realize that it can get rid of it.
1: What you mean by almost relaxing the body enough so that it can complete...
2: Mm-hmm. relaxing the body enough to say oh i ran into that wall <laughs> like, like like if the idea the idea of the leg tensing up is like somebody getting up and running into the wall Like the, the leg ran into a wall and it had to stop it couldn't move right it couldn't con- continue to run or or get away or do whatever if it relaxes it can see the it can see the wall and then be like oh i could go around the wall and get where you know and, and complete this in a way that makes sense you know but if it's still stuck with its head against the wall, then it's not gonna, it's not gonna be able to see its way out of it.
1: And it's a powerful system. analogy just around problem solving. There mm-hmm. isn't just uh, any one way to complete uh, okay. and then to release that. I'm thinking too of, you know, a, a wiggling leg uh, or whatever it is in a child that actually is carried into adulthood. That mm-hmm. might be from a really early emotional uh, trauma, mm-hmm. you know, a yep. loss of some kind, or something that was uh, a neg- something that was not attended to, that was very basic the child needed.
2: Or, or, or it might even be something as simple as being being asked to sit still when you're three for too <sighs> long. You know, it's, it may not be an actual like aggressive act towards you
1: right it may not have been an act of negligence per se but it could have been a right. societal or a cultural right uh Expectation of mm-hmm. needing
2: to sit still
1: mm-hmm. yeah. and
2: be, and and not being not having the impulse to sit you know having all that impulse build up and needing to go somewhere and then it becomes a bouncy leg or a tappy pencil or a you know or chewing on a pencil or any number of other things
1: How might you give an example of a client, a patient, who comes in and has wiggly legs? What, how might somatic touch be used well, for well, that? Well, again, like I said, wiggly legs is an interesting one because it has.
2: There are other things that could be causing it that are not, not necessarily, out of the realm of uh, resilience. It's because somatic touch is all about helping move trauma out of the body, and so if the if the if the wiggly legs are not, rela- I mean, if a restless leg is not related to a traumatic, a traumatic event and is more dietary or is more from an acupuncture st- uh, standpoint is more a blockage and she in the channels or any number of things like that. Then it's, it just depends on.
1: There's a little bit of ruling out. The- it sounds like, yeah. and it also sounds yeah. like well, there might be a difference. Tools.
2: A choosing of tools. Choosing the really. tools. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, And also with somatic touch, and even more so with somatic experiencing, what happens is that the practitioner is taking the lead, the practitioner always takes the lead from the patient, but the practitioner is really taking the lead from the patient with somatic touch or somatic experiencing in that. we use the same words they use. We they point to where it hurts and that's where we go to address it. There's there's, there's there they will tell us verbally or otherwise or physically what to do. And so it may be it it may and and there's there's some of that in acupuncture as well and there's some of that in, in other things, but there's a system there's a system approach in acupuncture to like, I may put some, I may put t- needles in your feet that will affect your hearing. Mm-hmm. But if I'm dealing with removing a trauma response, the body is very obvious about where it's holding it. And then it becomes addressing that area more directly because that's where it, it, it's, a, it's the physical holding of it. It's not all the other pieces attached to it. It's not the, uh, Somatic work goes from from the body up. It 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 adjusts the body's response, which then adjusts the 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 emotions and the mind's response.
1: What what does that mean? It goes from the body up.
2: Well, I mean, a lot of therapy traditionally, although more so, they're getting more into somatic work. But a lot of therapeutic work was from the mind down.
1: Oh, mental health work, altering the thoughts.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, Mm -hmm. altering the thoughts addressing the emotions and letting letting it kind of filter through the rest of the system. Whereas somatic work by the very nature of the word somatic is going, is addressing the body's response and then letting that rise up through the rest of the stuff. Because if, if you, our first response to the world is full body. And then we name it, we name that full body response with words. once we have them, to describe emotions, and then we intellectualize it. But the first response we have to anything, whether it's, you know, an ice cream cone or stubbing your toe, is going to be a full-body response to it. And then you're going to have an emotion about it that you've tagged to it, or that might be, if it's a new experience, that, you know, it somehow links to and you have a word and you have a word. And so then you have a word for that emotion when it's really a full body response. And then we intellectualize it and have an idea about why we, you know, and so it all stacks up. So if you can get the, if you can get the body to move smoothly between being in activity and stillness, then, and stay within a window of, of regulation, then, or window of tolerance, then you're not spiking up into hypervigilance and anxiety and manic states or dropping into depression and inability or even more extreme free states.
1: Right. Your state, you're, you're staying in that window yeah. of tolerance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause every, everybody's, everybody's has, a, every,
2: everybody's life goes up and down. You know. Yeah. I love that. I
1: mean, Peter Levine, I think he does that. Yeah. He, so it reminded me of like a cosine wave. Uh, right. When I first studied him as well, and I loved math. Mm-hmm. And so it was like, yep. oh, I got that, you know, mm-hmm. um, and how, how important, because even in physics, as we think of like, you know, sound and movement on roads and highways, it's how mm-hmm. they calibrate and build highways to make sure that there's mm-hmm. enough mm-hmm. of that wave that goes well, up and down. Right. But
2: all, all, all you're doing is describing yin and yang. Yin and yang. All that does is describe yin and yang, because... Yin and Yang is not a static. Is not a stat. I mean, everybody sees the symbol, the black and white symbol, but all that is is a is a split second capture of motion, and, and it's constantly transforming one into the other. If you leave what's called a cold invasion in the body for too long, so like you get out in the wind and the cold and you get a stuffy nose and whatever else. If you let that percolate too long in your body, it's become heat, and then you're going to have a fever, and then your snot's going to be yellow, and then. Because it's moving. It's it's constantly moving from from yin to young. And that's the same I mean that's what a that's what a sine wave is. And that's what we're talking about now is being able to continue to move around that cycle.
1: I'm wondering with that movement and with somatic touch, its relationship in your practice to pain, uh, eliminating pain or alleviating pain. Mm-hmm. Um, how how might somatic touch work with pain? Well, I mean a huge part of that holding, the holding that the body does
2: will create what we call in Chinese medicine blood stagnation, which is pain, or blockage of qi, which is physical pain. And so by releasing that holding in the body, then that opens up the pathway for that that to for that, those sensations to be released with it.
1: To, to pain, me, pain. as a layperson, that sounds a bit like the more we can again, relax the body as it relates to pain, the less holding then there would be and then the less coagulation of the blood or whatever that well that's part of it. But it's also
2: our first response when we when we hurt something, when some part of us is hurt is sort or many people's first response is to kind of push away from it. To play like, like I'm fine over here, but that over there hurts, and so that creates a uh, that creates a a, a a a blockage to the to the resolution of that pain.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And so the more you can be like, "Ow, that really hurts," and just let that feeling let that wave complete. It's it's like a microcosm of what we've been talking about. It let that wave complete in your toe. It's not going to yell at you so much for the rest of the day. And from a, from a biomedical standpoint, it's, it's stopping the constriction of blood vessels and, and things getting to that toe. It's allowing everything to get to that toe, all the white blood cells and everything, to write to the ship down there rather than seizing everything up
1: because you're trying to ignore so, it. So to scream, uh, cry, it, it's <laughs> allowing that flow. Yeah, yeah. Or just, you know, make noises,
2: do whatever, you know. But allowing yourself to move with the wave because there, because pain has a wave. There's not even, even, uh, even like headaches have a wave to them. The more you can relax into the wave or not tense as much into the wave, the, the, it won't necessarily resolve, but a stump toe, it will help resolve. A, a headache, you may, you may need other, other interventions but it will definitely relax the the intensity a little bit anybody who has ongoing chronic pain has some intuitive understanding of this they may not have thought about it in the words that I'm using but if they are, if they are intimately intimate friends with pain or or intimate uh, roommates with pain in their body they they know that the more they push it the more they try to alienate it the louder it gets.
1: Yeah, the louder it gets. Well, you know, I'm wondering about thinking of bedfellows or interesting bedfellows. Mm -hmm. I knew back in 2015 when Archer was injured, I knew uh, just enough about somatic, or I really will not even say somatic. I wasn't not familiar with uh, somatic experience at that time until Mm -hmm. a little bit later, for which I'm so grateful now to know but I was familiar with acupressure Mm -hmm. and asked the hospital staff and found a person who was also a a bit familiar, familiar enough that we experimented with Archer who was in acute pain that was seeming to become chronic because Mm -hmm. it was all over unrelenting, if you will. And I'm wondering is Somatic touch and and acupressure in the same family? Are they different? No, um, they're the same family. They use the same meridians, they use the same points.
2: I mean, I will occasionally do just do acupressure. I'm like I'll have some needles in and I may I may be called to just use acupressure in a point. Sometimes I'll put essential oil on a point. Well, can you explain that? Go. A point? You have if you are a planet, you have the meridians in your body are the rivers in on your planet, and um, the on your fingers and toes is where the water's sort of bubbling up out of the ground, and then as it moves into your torso, it gets sort of water table level. And so the sensation from a needle, or the depth at which a needle needs to go, or the quality of the interaction with a point on on one of those channels changes as it moves to d- deeper into the body so acu- acupressure points are like i said are the same as as acupuncture points they use the same meridians and it's a matter of finding the point and again we're back to the conversation of intention putting your intention into the point for your hands so if you're going to have to find a little teeny tiny a little teeny tiny out ba- uh, like a safety pin in the bottom of a bag like in, you in mean the like the, the needle punch. in the haystack? Yeah, but, but you have to reach in and you're like, you're in a movie theater and you're trying to mm-hmm. find this thing, right? Mm-hmm. You have your hand in, in your bag and you're trying to find this little tiny thing. Pick that finger that would find the tiny thing.
1: Okay. My, my forefinger and my thumb. Okay. But I would use my forefinger to like move around look, looking for it. To look for, for it. it. Mm-hmm. To look for it. Mm-hmm. So you're looking for that tiny safety pin mm-hmm. with your finger, right? Gently, yes.
2: Mm-hmm. And it's seeing it, it's seeing through all the stuff in your bag completely. Like, oh, that's that's a lipstick. There's my wallet. Mm-hmm. There's, this, you know, mm-hmm. right. Okay, so what acupuncturists do, and what acupressure practitioners do, or shiatsu practitioners is the Japanese word for it, is that we train a particular finger. I mean, we all say, oh, this one, but but I actually trained my middle finger on my right hand. We train a particular finger to be super sensitive, to be able to find the safety pin, but also to be able to find an acupuncture point. Because the thing about acupuncture points are that they have an anatomical location, but they move. There was a research project that happened, I want to say in the early 2000s, maybe like 1990s, at the University of California at Irvine. Um, where they tracked with MRI technology acupuncture points mm. and they change it and they, they tracked it in the density of the connective tissue and they change, they move and they change shape
1: mm-hmm.
2: just slightly, you know, so you can find it anatomically by this much. You know, so, this, right. This so still
1: on a general area right. within like, like, like a you, couple of what, like a few centimeters or something like that.
2: Yeah. Mm -hmm. And or but it can be teeny tiny or it can get bigger or it can be you know and so you find the geographical location but then you have to be able to feel it like that safety pin with your finger to be able to find the real point. That's why that's why any research study done with uh, sham acupuncture is that is is not not really possible (laughs) Um, because there's well that's a whole other conversation we have that some other time but take your take your finger and then on your other hand and this is the for- first acupuncture point that I ever learned from a fabulous man named Hague Ignatius who was a who had his uh MD and was the doctor who put his license on the line to be able to have acupuncture legal in Maryland mm. if you take take your sensitive finger and on your other hand what you're going to do is you're going to go between your ring finger and your pinky finger and you're going to fall that priest that happens right here mm-hmm. Okay, so I don't want you to look at it because okay. you're not finding it with your eyes. You're finding it with your finger. Mm-hmm. You're going to slide from between your fingers down into that crease. And it might help if you turn your hand down so you're not holding it up. But And you'll find a little divot.
1: Uh-huh, I have it.
2: That's an acupuncture point. Ah. Oh. And move just a slight bit away from the divot. And you can find a dent next to it, I but can. it's not the same as the divot.
1: Re- it's re- it's quite true. Yeah, it's it's kind that's of, an acupuncture point. That's, that's
2: that's that's the eighth point on the heart meridian. It's called Lesser Palace, or as I like to call it, the vacation home of the heart. <laughs> and so that's what we're that's what we're looking for. That's what an acup acu. And, and so when an acupressure, uh, when somebody's doing an acupressure, what they're doing is they're finding a point like that, given the anatomical location, and then locating it you finding that point and then what you're doing is you're putting your attention past the end of your finger. You're reaching past the end of your finger and then if you're wanting to build up or tonify that point, you're imagining a whirlpool in clock, going clockwise. And if you're wanting to disperse that point or make it share its energy with other things in you know, a dispersing sort of way, then you're then you're medging counterclockwise.
1: Well, you know what I'm really curious about right now, Janice is acupressure Mm -hmm. or somatic touch Mm -hmm. used on someone who is paralyzed. Right. What are your thoughts about that? Well, before I talk about that, I'm going to talk
2: about amputees. When somebody has, say, their foot amputated. There are people who, when the foot is amputated, the foot is gone for them. And then there are people who, when the foot is amputated, their foot is still there. They feel it. They have ghost limb pain or ghost limb awareness. There are examples in, in acupuncture of, peop- of practitioners actually <clears throat> needling or doing acupuncture on the ghost limb. And it affecting the pulse and it affecting the symptoms and it affecting the thing. Because remember, qi follows the mind, right? Yeah. And in Chinese medicine, when we say qi follows the mind, it's we're not talking about your brain. We're talking about the qi following your heart. Mm -hmm. And where your heart senses things. And so if they're still sensing their foot down there, you can affect the qi down there. So now when we talk about somebody who is paralyzed. The fact that they have that their body is still functioning and there's still blood and and what going down there means that there is still chi down there because otherwise chi and blood run like a pair of horses and if one of them is missing then it would be really really obvious.
1: You know, I'm I'm thinking actually even about Archer, his use of words. He'll still say, (laughs) "I'm walking over to." Uh, blah blah blah. Or are are you walking? Okay, I'll I'll meet you there. I'm walking to the blanky blank street. Or I I think he has, and and one could say, I suppose that he hasn't completely
2: um, mm-hmm.
1: embraced being disabled. And another could say that it's part of his life force. Just what right. how he envisions and how he sees himself.
2: Mm-hmm. Yep.
1: So. These modalities, therefore, could still be useful and helpful mm-hmm. to someone who is paralyzed, depending on their mindset. Right.
2: Well, the other piece, too, is that with uh, acupuncture, at least, your ear, much like your hand, the palm of your hand and your feet, are a map of, the of your whole body. Mm. And so it's possible to put points in the ear that will help me pain. That, you know, or that will help with digestion or that will address heart issues or that will, you know, and, and so there are maps that you can get, That there are maps elsewhere that can get you to other places.
1: Uh, interesting about the body that that's just so miraculous to me in that, that regard, how might you use somatic touch uh, to relieve uh, pain in the back for someone who is paralyzed because a number of quadriplegics experience excruciating pain in their, in their back just from the use of what little they have of, their up, of the upper shoulder that's working so mm-hmm. hard. How might right. uh, other parts of the body be used to eliminate that pain through somatic touch?
2: Well, first I would recommend that they actually do some somatic experiencing too. With with a trained practitioner, and could you say a bit about what you mean with that? Well, the somatic experiencing piece really goes to does does a lot more talking than somatic touch does, but it does it in through the lens of the body. So some of the back pain, or some of the way that they are, I, I know they only have a certain amount of mobility in their shoulder, but some of the way they're using that mobility in their soul, shoulder may be part of their thwarted response to whatever happened.
1: So kind of a chronic pain in the shoulder might be related to the accident right. or, itself.
2: Or, or a chronic way of moving the shoulder,
1: mm-hmm.
2: or, or, a, or a, a patterned way of moving the shoulder, may be part of the thwarted response to the initial event.
1: So, so many quadriplegic accidents are water-related and also right. oftentimes related to diving. Mm-hmm. And so, if one of the first res- body responses that we do is to curl up,
2: and so if you can't, you know that that people curl up to protect their their viscera, right? To protect their internal organs. It's like a full
1: so, on so you went to curl up, or you went to push away, or you went, and to you push were away. not able to do either.
2: Exactly. And so then, so so you haven't completed that that movement for that part of the body that still can
1: operate. So how might a quadriplegic then complete that movement?
2: Well, that's why I'd say I would recommend they, they do some somatic experiencing work with a trained therapist because they can help them complete that movement with the ability that they have, that they now have. They don't have to have the whole arm be able to move. They don't have to have the whole body be able to curl, but they need to be able to complete what they can with that piece to then tell the body that it's done. We, 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 we can keep moving. We can blow out of
1: here. So that's the first thing I would say about to, the back pain. To work with a somatic experience practitioner that right. also has to do with a certain amount of talk therapy as it then relates to the complete it's, it's cycle in the talking body. talking through the body's mm-hmm. perspective. Talking through the body's perspective. Right. Whereas
2: the work that I do has a little bit of that involved but it's much more solely on the body response. Mm -hmm. And so there's a little bit more teasing out that happens with somatic experiencing. Then the somatic touch piece can then come in either from the same practitioner or from someone else can then come in and sort of pick up on that wave of, of the body's understanding and help the body realize that it can, that, that it can move this piece without dragging that other one with it. And so that, and so, I mean, each person, again, given the fact that the, that with all of these modalities that i practice or that i'm talking about the lead is taken from the from the patient it's it's entirely given on what's happening right with this patient right here i can't really give you sort of this is what they do and this is what happens because it's a very individualized medicine there's no do this and then that
1: In somatic touch in your practice is it an ongoing therapy? People come for a number, multiple sessions, or is it periodic what how does that work? I use it multiple
2: ways with my acupuncture patients. I add it in as I see necessary with the with the needlework and the acupressure and the central oil work i have i have had I have had patients who come to me just for somatic touch. And then it's a matter, as it is with acupuncture or anything else, it's a matter of both of us paying attention to what's happening and how things are shifting. And, and then duration really depends on how much the body's holding. One of my longest-running patients, also my best referral system, was a postman who, he, he came to see me for years and years and years and he was in great shape and he kept saying i just need to come back so i stay in great shape you know i just need you know and occasionally something would happen and he had some chronic stuff by the time he came to me he had open heart surgery he you know a bunch of things like that but he was doing great and he kept being a postman so he kept being on his feet all day and he had great shoes and he had the right clothes and he had the right hats and he had all the things to be Good postman, and he was very conscious of taking breaks, and he did all the things, but he was still being a postman, which is a very physical job. And then he retired, and he became chauffeur to his grandchildren, and he had didn't have to worry about his income. He was on a fixed income, so he knew what he could do and what he couldn't do. And you know, so if he did, if something happens. Well, to this day, if something happens, uh, like if he had an accident or something, or he, you know, something unforeseen came up, he would come and see me. But he doesn't need the ongoing maintenance that he did when he was being a postman. Because he's now sort of living his best life, right? He's hanging out with little kids. He's hanging out with his dogs and his wife. He's doing whatever he wants in his day. You know, he's learned enough to enjoy eating well and then occasionally not. And he has limitations, he has financial limitations, he has geographic limitations, you know his family you know they're all still out living lives that aren't exactly what they you know exactly supportive of them being their best selves and so but you know it so it just depends on it depends or i had a, i had a patient that came to see me he had all sorts of like shoulder and and back stuff, and he came to see me for years and he and he got to where he was coming to see me seasonally if something kicked up really very much he would he would then you know come back more regularly until he got back out the seasonally so he see me like four or five times a year and the big piece was that he was lonely mm. and it was playing out in his body mm. and he fell in love and he got married and he doesn't need me <laughs> So touchy. It, but because he was lonely, he was doing things to put himself in situations or choosing things that, you know, weren't great for him.
1: Did he realize that he a, was lonely through a somatic tuck, touch or acupuncture experience? Yeah, I mean, it evolved over time. He was
2: willing to own up to the fact that he was lonely. And he then he pushed through some of the... Oh, no, i fine. It's okay. Uh, you know, and then he realized he was really, really lonely. We did a lot of work on him finding partnership with himself mm. and the, through through his through acupuncture and also some somatic work and then the moment he was sort of happy with himself, she showed up, and they're living happily around it her.
1: It works like, that way, yeah.
2: It does. It does. I was never more attracted. Yeah, get get in
1: alignment with yourself as best as you can, or you know, with a higher Mm -hmm. power, and you get the package, and then other people enter your life. It's so it's so amazing. I've just loved every bit of this. You know, one, I've got a burning question before we conclude, and I'm curious in in your experience, which I know is vast Mm -hmm. and deep, and wide. If there Are any situations that somatic touch, you would say, is not a wise treatment or should be avoided as a treatment?
2: I usually don't introduce somatic, well, almost always, I don't introduce somatic touch until there is some body awareness because it requires the patient to be involved in the process. They're not like Mm -hmm. taking a nap while I'm doing whatever I'm doing. If they don't have any connection to their person. And I don't mean necessarily that they have physical sensation.
1: No, some some awareness,
2: some awareness of them being inside themselves. One of the questions always is, is this a mental level patient an emotional level patient, a physical level patient? And that doesn't mean that they don't have things happening on the other two levels. But there's always one place that's stuck. They always like pick a field. Everybody picks a field that they're stuck in. And I have a patient who's very much a mental level patient. And he knows it. I mean, he came in telling me he was a mental level patient. And he knew nothing about what I did. But he, and so he's always engaging me in these conversations. And half the time, I, I spend most of my time with him, guiding him back to his emotional and physical body. That being said, I have a teenage patient who is very physically aware and is completely unattached to his emotional or mental body. And so I'm spending a lot of time bringing him back up into those. But the idea is not to switch from one to the other. The idea is to get people back to that full-body response to the world that we had when we were, you know, six months old. And so that's always the challenge is getting, and, and they say, you know, in, in Chinese cosmology that, that you're, when you're, when you're, when you're, before you're born, you're part of the oneness, then you're born into the world. And for a little bit, you're still part of, you, you still think you're part of the oneness. Like you assume your mom is part of you and that the world is only responding. Yeah. And then you slowly, over time, become aware of being separate.
1: Yeah, separation, and individuation, and then we, I think. And
2: then we, spend, then we spend the rest of the arc of our life trying to get back to the one. Right, exactly.
1: Because that separateness is like the first trauma. The, or the first hurdle, the yeah. first different, the first other. That and we then we spend the with. rest of our life yeah. trying to
2: integrate. The closer people get to death, the more connected they are to all of that again. Yeah. And yeah. and so my job is to help people meet the world with all of themselves as much as I can to get gl- so they can get glimpses of being connected to the oneness to lead them to where they're headed. And when I say that, it's a, it's not about you know, there's the, the saying, pain is inevitable, suffering is optional. And I know I've told you the story before about uh, Bob Duggan, who founded the school that I went to, uh, was one of the co-founders, he and Diane Connolly. And Bob would tell the story of having this patient who was a super outdoorsy guy who was a motorcyclist and a hiker and a, and a cross-country skier and downhill skier did everything, right? He was out all the time paragliding, everything. And he had a he had a motorcycle accident and became a quadriplegic very suddenly. And he came in pissed off and wanting and and not not understanding why he didn't, couldn't just die, and through it, Bob did this a, a lot of this not the somatic touch necessarily, but informed by the same sort of principles of the somatic work. He he worked with this guy, and when he first came in, he was griping about like bed sores and not mm-hmm. being able to do things for himself and. And being dependent on other people and, and needing people to roll over, when, you know, helping them roll over and all these other things. And so over time, through treatment, it got to the point, though, where Bob, would, you know, he would come in and Bob would say, so how are the bed sores? He's like, I don't know. I, I can't feel them anyway. <laughs> they seem to be doing fine. They resolve pretty quickly. But let me tell you about this book I'm writing. You know, or mm-hmm. let me tell you about, let me tell you about what my students said to me the other day, or I saw the most beautiful butterfly out my window, you know, or whatever the thing was so that it became, it became about being as fully himself given where he was as he could be, not trying to go back to what he used to be. Cause none of us are going back to, to, to that six month old attached to the oneness. We're dealing with whatever, you know, how, however, whatever, whatever, we are, whatever shape we're in at this point. That's that's that. This is this is the tools we got, and so it's about using all of who we are now in a way that allows us to meet the world
1: with all of who we are. And I think we've come full circle in okay. our conversation on that because of the way and the the ways and the choices that we make on where to place our attention. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Thank you, Dr. Janice Campbell, for an enlightening uh, conversation about somatic touch and so many Mm -hmm. other aspects of the wisdom of the body and your expertise and your care and your love. I'm, I'm grateful. You're very welcome. I enjoyed it. Take care. Power of Paying Attention with Intention. Let's all commit to paying attention to our bodies in new ways over the next few days. Perhaps you will notice something in the next few hours you hadn't noticed before. And we can cultivate this awareness. And when we do, it can accelerate our healing as our awareness of our bodies can guide a somatic practitioner to the exact organ or bodily tissue where we are holding pain or trauma and it can be released with somatic touch isn't it exciting to consider the power of touch coupled with intention for the purpose of healing mm, so powerful oh there is so much available And accessible to support us in healing our past experiences of trauma in our lives so we can live again free and easy life can change in the blink of an eye life is so precious sending love hope for everything Obtain everything. Love heals trauma. Thank you for tuning in to the Trauma Healing Learnings. You may tune in to the companion Blink of an Eye story at Season 3, Episode 6, Like an Archer and His Arrow. Thank you for listening, subscribing, and following. We are Raising the vibration healing.
0: You've been listening to Blink of an Eye. We ask that you share this with anyone who may need inspiration, a lift, or who may relate. Never miss an episode. Listen on our website, blinkofaneyepodcast.com, or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Blink of an Eye Podcast is sponsored by I See That the Integrative Center for Trauma Healing, Advocacy and Transformation, a nonprofit created as a national resource to help change the way we respond to spinal cord injury to include trauma healing approaches for families and medical teams across the U.S. That provides a national team of SCI specialized doctors for expert opinions in the first hours of crisis, a multidisciplinary family support and navigation team for SCI families, led by SCI families, for the first 30 days of crisis, and a national resource library of trauma-informed responses for the first hours and days after injury, specialized for families, friends, and SCI medical staff. I See That also offers a registry of medically unexpected SCI recovery. I See That will host the inaugural conference, The Science of Trauma, Hope for Trauma Healing, October 5th, 2022. To donate and find out more, visit www.icthat.org. That's I, the letter C, T-H-A-T dot org.